Hello, everyone, and welcome to Canadians with Disabilities and Their Allies. My name is Brent Frayne. I'm the host. The show is also known as PWD Allies Podcast. Today is a very special day. It's the 100th episode. Uh, and wow, I mean, I just can't believe that this year's gone by so fast. And to have the 100th episode, I have Cheryl Hardcastle joining me for the 100th episode on, well, on YouTube and uh, prior. Uh, Cheryl was the hundredth uh, episode guest actually on Twitter Space when I when I used to have it on Twitter Space. So it's such a great pleasure to having Cheryl joining me uh, amongst uh, uh, our basically my other uh, panelists that are uh, joining me today too. And I want to thank everyone uh, for joining in on the comment section. Send us your comments. We'll do our very best to get to each and every uh, question uh, that comes in. I want to mm -hmm. make sure everybody's included uh, in today's episode as much as possible. Uh, and also we're gonna be diving into a lot of different topics. So uh, follow through with us. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed our new uh, intro that we have uh, for this, uh, well, for today's episode too. Yeah, we did one for the VIPs and then I'll probably put one together for when we have the panelist uh, group discussions, I'll put one for the panelist. Uh, nice. So you need a Patreon. I, I wanna, <laughs> I just wanna interrupt everybody for a second i i wanted to slide in because this is the 100th episode and this is a big deal um i actually have an appointment i have to run to and okay. i'm hoping uh that i can get to the appointment and maybe rush back and slide in the end now that i've well now that, we're only going to be on for about an hour though that's that's the other new well i know i realize happening. that yeah, i real okay. i realize that but it's yeah. it is possible i might be able to okay. slide in for a few minutes at the end <laughs> okay. i don't know okay um and but i just wanted to let you all know like i just wanted to like i i'm really excited that this is the 100th episode and yeah I, oh I this really is wanted fantastic to show up and and i know i started before we went before we went live i, I think <laughs> i started a little bit of a you know well that's kind a of, bit of a storm <laughs> there's so much that uh is on the cutting room floor all the time right right Brent? yeah before oh, we oh, roll the Absolutely. And, you know, and, uh, you know, as we go along with the podcast, we, we find ways of like, tweaking things here and there. And, um, you know, when we say, like I say, an hour for like the, the show, if it, if it goes for like a few minutes, kind of, you know, give, give or take a little buffer, you know, yeah. uh, but we yeah. got to do our very best to try to keep it streamlined across uh, and just makes it uh, more even right across. Yeah, because we were, we were getting comments and, and they're valid. And I was thinking about this for a while, actually, it, it, mm it didn't need to have the comments to happen to for them for me to think this is that you know even at one hour that's a huge viewer commitment for people to sit there for an hour and watch watch an hour long youtube video mm -hmm. and and by the time you get to two or three hours it's a lot of uh viewer fatigue right 
And, yeah. and we just want to yeah. make sure that, that um, you know, when we, when we put a show together, that we're really putting out a nice, you know, concise package to, together mm -hmm. and that people will, maybe will, will want to sit through the whole hour. But if they see something that's two hours, as well, I was like, oh, I don't know. You got to break them down when they get well, for, for today's show, uh, we, we got going just a few minutes late. So we'll, we'll make it today. Uh, we'll make it till 2.30 today. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. and after that, you know, just uh, kind of be fair to everybody and sure. give everybody time to well, 3.30 my time. That's right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. time. Well, I am going to, I got to, I got to book out now guys, but okay. um, cross your face. I'm crossing my fingers that I can just kind of yep. rush and get back and, and slide in for the end. And uh, don't, don't miss the um, cake. Don't miss the yeah. cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to miss the cake. Yeah. <laughs> okay. oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll see you all I'll, in a bit. I'll put okay. the candles on the top. Make sure that they're not Roman <laughs> candles or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on well i'm gonna start with uh cheryl to uh, to kick it off here um yeah. you know cheryl uh this is a this is a fantastic episode and yeah, it's always it happy to yeah. have you on yeah opening minds for the 100th episode now for pwd and allies so i'm glad to be back and um i think we should just delve right in you've got some really yeah. really anxious uh really anxious people to to share so that the podcast is compelling. And I guess I'll start off with just because of the BC budget announcement, it just brought me to thinking about the whole idea across the nation, how uh, the, the effect or the ramifications, if you will, of the announcement of the development of a Canada disability mm -hmm. benefit and, and how it's affecting the provinces and how it seems that they're, uh, they're waiting. Mm. The initiatives aren't there. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. I feel like that's mm -hmm. the, the height of frustration for people that are. Um, yeah. We, see the, photo, we yeah. see the photo ops and come out doing the, the, the Twitter photo ops and all this. And what it translates to us is they're more interested in the appearance on social media than they are at uh, the brass tack in the action of moving the goalposts forward mm -hmm. to an obtainable. Like in our minds, as disabled people, we're going like, is this benefit ever going to come to fruition in our lifetime? Because okay. like. A lot of us are close to 50, uh, if not over 50, and a lot of us are going to be at the point where come 65, we won't even be eligible for this benefit. So where, where where's the progress? And all we see is the photo ops. Like, look at us. We're doing kind stuff for people. And we don't actually see the meat and potatoes uh, behind this door. Anyway, that's kind of well, my feeling we'll, on it. Yeah, we'll get into comments in a little bit there, uh, Ellen. Yeah. Uh, I'll take turns and uh, kind of chime into uh, and feedback to uh, Cheryl. But yeah, thanks on that. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like that. I mean, I've talked to neighbors around too, and they they kind of echo what you what you mentioned, Ellen. Too is um, it's a lot of like um, talk, but 
yeah action action and, and i think uh, yeah you're right cheryl i mean a lot of people are very desperate to to hear like let's get the cannabis well, going and that brings up you know it it brings up other issues with it too but we know the announcements and we know when they're talking about they being the federal government bodies that are you know trying to put this regulation onto paper and how this relationship mm. with a federal benefit is going how is it going to interact with each province we all know how it, it differs amongst the provinces but you do not want this to be considered an income that impacts social assistance that you're getting in your province and they're yeah. saying that it's you know june of 2025 before we have these regulations down Ooh, yeah. that, that's 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 the frustrating part because then it brings up a whole other issue that gets um pushed aside in in uh many ways and that is of uh an interim support an interim benefit mm -hmm. while you're waiting for these regulations to be hammered out the federal government responsibility to people that are living in deep legislated poverty you already identified that a candidate disability benefit is needed and until you get this regulation fleshed out which is now june 2025 um what do we do in the interim there is room mm -hmm. for interim support and that can be done but what happens is it sort of splinters off and whatever else grabs the headline, right? Mm -hmm. Well, as as you were saying, uh, as you were saying too, Cheryl, before uh, we launched the show, I mean, I think that's why a lot of uh, provinces are just sitting on their hands too, because because the provinces are waiting for the the benefit too. So they're like, well, yeah. we don't want we don't want to release any anything until we know. So mm -hmm. they're like, well, we'll just we'll just zero dollars is fine and, and until we know like in, until we know in a, in a year and a half we'll just sit on yeah. our hands and, and wait yeah. yeah what financial commitment do we make mm -hmm. if the federal government's going to make this commitment yeah yeah, yeah. And so it kind of puts it in limbo where people are now um wondering well why why am i left behind and in, in the budget well they're you know it's like the devil's in the detail because now it's like well the feds probably promised saying hey we're going to get it out by this time and so when the provinces make their budget they do things accordingly based on what the feds have actually told them and now the feds are now dragging their heels and don't want to put a dirt out in the meantime because Apparently, it's not fiscally responsible. I guess right now, or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you know the, the you know the whole thing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not. <laughs> but what what, what Tur am turns I, out we're actually not worthy. One of my concerns too is um it's about the clawbacks too. Um, yeah, that's that's from true. Feds too. versus to the uh, provincial government. So um I know that uh, uh the, the uh, MP uh, Mike Maurice uh, had. Uh, gone through the committee stage and he was able to successfully get an agreement saying that they won't that they won't be clawing that back uh, but mm -hmm. now uh, it's like uh, he's hearing that maybe they're gonna make the, basically the DTC is part of the criteria uh, for mm -hmm. eligibility he's hoping not that they will not do that because they, I guess the agreement was that no that wasn't part of the agreement so who knows right I, yeah. I really hope not yeah what, what says the uh what says the basic income guy? I was just going to go to you. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> before we got going, Manny was talking about, and also on callbacks, um, my late girlfriend, uh, she was on disability and she got this 600, but then of course it was all clawed back or the 300 was all clawed back over her checks. So between that and this kind of silence, I was just writing this down, like the ignoring and the blocking on Twitter that you see makes people understandably worried about what this final goal post will look like. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, not only are you sitting in legislative poverty now, but you're like, like, I remember Joseph was talking about the different things that the CDB could possibly be in the end. So that doesn't exactly do the heart a lot of good. And then you have, yeah, um, this MP ignoring and doing these other things um, when that's the one person that should be responding. Um, mm -hmm. There's one person I saw yesterday, I was, I was talking to a, a friend on, on Twitter and she's like, oh, this person blocked me because I was trying to talk to her. And I looked over and she blocked me as well. I'd never talked to this person before at all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Because association or whatever, she went, well, stop him. <laughs> yeah. So. But the thing with Twitter, so yeah. with me on my Twitter, I post exactly what the policy of ODSP says mm -hmm. and how to leave ODSP through work. For me, it's self-employment. I run my small business mm -hmm. and. I want to have my net. I want to have too much money that disability says I'm rich. Because yeah. like, mm -hmm. I got on disability in my 20s. You're telling me I was supposed to stay poor until I turn 65. You know how much years of investments don't get invested if I don't make that effort? That yeah. I don't do something with the money I have? Not just make it, spend it, go into debt. I have to make it, spend it, invest it for my future. So yeah. when I'm getting people on my, dis my, my Twitter, like I had this city person messaged me. I eventually found out she's someone on my Facebook and we had a conversation and she's harassing me. I'm like, look, this is what the documents of ODSP says. This is when they, they said it. This is when they update it. Yeah. They'll change something in the policy and they're not going to tell you they changed it. Yeah. You have to go to the website and look for the update, look for the published date, look for when it started, look for when it's, it's going on and what's going on today. And then yeah. if you're not working, you literally have nothing else to do. Yes. But if you're working Absolutely. and trying yeah. to better yourself, you have yeah. 600 things you're thinking about. Yeah. So yeah. when I block people on Twitter, I don't have time for your little whiny no job business in my thing. I'm trying to get yeah. off a system. I know exactly yeah. how the system screw screws me over, how it squeezes me, how it makes me scared. I have a little caseworker telling yeah. me nonsense with their little opinion. I don't need that. So yeah. the divide is either you're working as much as you can disabled and all or you're disabled and not working and you need to keep quiet and stay in the corner that is yeah. how it's separated and yeah. i get why they're not doing it because if more people are getting their fixed income for a long period of time they get bitter mm. yeah but I mean, it's like it's like i said before too brent yes. it's it's like like you've worked uh before for quite yeah. quite a while i i worked for i worked for 20 years uh my previous wife wife worked for um you know almost 20 years mm. um you know and so i'm somebody and you're somebody and and there's a lot of people like us out there that did try to better ourselves and we did get good jobs and mm. they did pay good benefits but mm. it pisses me off when when our provincial governments turn around and say you know what the the uh, survivors pension we're just going to ignore that and claw it back as unearned income because you you didn't actually really earn that. 
you know, yeah. and, and it's like, you know, I, I think one of the key pieces that I'm always on the provincial governments for here in BC and, and elsewhere across Canada is, is uh, they really have to respect the, the whole adage for me of, yeah. uh, you know, income is income is income is, is income. Like yeah. just because mm-hmm. you, if you say that, uh, if you say that a survivor's pension is invalid income, it automatically, if when you cherry pick, when you cherry pick and say that a survivor's pension is no is not valid income, that is discriminatory. It just it just is. I don't I don't care. I don't care if my if my BC Human Rights Tribunal says it's not discrimination. It is discrimination. I could have, I could have a thousand people line up from from human rights tribunals and tell me it's not discrimination. It is discrimination. Point. That's yeah. you know end of story. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quick, uh, just a very very quick example. Um, okay, so in BC we we have uh, deposits now that are on milk containers. Yeah, there never used to be before, but now there is. Now, now you get charged an environment environmental fee on top of right. that. So now you just compounds, right? So I mean, uh, so anyway, so you, you start collecting them. You get a bag and garbage bag, and you start throwing them and rinse it out. Throw it in there, some some pop cans or juice containers or whatever. So now you pile them all up, and you say we've already paid that deposit. So now you go and take it to the recycle depot. So you go and get your money back, and now the government expects you to declare that because it's actually you've made the money. So you put it on your your declaration form. The government now takes it off you because it's classified as unearned income. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've already paid that money and off your actual check. Yeah. It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, it yeah. makes no sense. You know, and and the person probably, uh, you know, not to mention the time it took for them to collect the bottles, but they probably paid a bunch of bus fare to go oh, yeah. in, to go and collect the, bottle, the, the bottles and deposit it. But it's like, yeah. well, we don't care about your bus fare that you spend. It's still unearned income. We're going to take it, take away from you. Oh, exactly. everything, everything is about the gross domestic product. Everything is about productivity, income mm-hmm. in the economy, paying taxes. I don't know where we're acting like it's not about. It's always about the government, how to get their taxes, mm-hmm. whether it's lower government, provincial government getting their taxes or the federal government getting their taxes. The tax man. And then. Yeah. Just your money sitting in your bank account that gains interest, you pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you if the little 15 cents of interest from whatever high interest bank account that you're in, yeah, that's it. Like everything is about funneling back to the government and paying taxes. Mm-hmm. There was a guy at the ODSP office that was very upset and I didn't catch hundred percent of the conversation i i'd walked in he was in, in at the counter already i just went in because i couldn't log into the portal and every time i did it gave me an error and i was like okay i need to see my worker regarding a mattress situation and if it was those things were still covered in my region so that was what reason i had gone in uh only to find out they had switched workers on me because my worker had left but this guy was really upset because he started a small business last summer in Kingston and he got a bunch of restaurants and retail stores downtown to pay him a service fee to wash the outside of his windows, especially when the weather got really bad and the salt was being sprayed up. He he had a whole cleaning kit that he put together 
And he said, I'm getting clawback back more than I'm actually getting paid by these companies. Yeah. You want me to be a contributor to society? I try and start my own business, and I must just sit on my couch because I'm more behind the eight ball before I started. Now, I, <laughs> I felt bad yeah. for the guy because he was like, I could tell he was like literally distraught. Then yeah. he said, you know, like, despite my best efforts to not be lazy, not to be on the system, completely relying on it, but actually doing something with my time, and I'm punishably, punitively attacked yeah. uh, every time. And I, I felt for him because I understand, especially being audited by ODSP yeah. for Serb, I felt his pain. I was just like, oh, buddy, yeah. I totally get it. Like, I know that if I go get a dishwashing job or I, I go stock shelves or whatever, that there are going to be clawbacks if I go over the mount. I'm already calculating for that. I'm assuming that they're going to claw back. But when you're starting a small business and you just want to get a little bit ahead and have some extra groceries so that you're eating healthier, only to have the amount that you just earned as a self-employed person, it's like a slap in the face. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. I'm going to pass the mic over to uh, Cheryl, uh, just to some uh, feedback on that. Yeah. And uh, over to... Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I think I think it goes uh, I think now this all goes back to no matter what people are doing if you're starting your own business or whatever it is and it's getting clawed back what the, the big and it's not even an elephant in the room it's very obvious cuz isn't an elephant in the room supposed to mean like it's subtle and not spoken about it's but a herd of elephants if you're living you like this is below poverty level mm -hmm. you're all you're below poverty level and that is the kind the kind of policy that you're implementing that you're adhering to is for people who are already living below poverty mm -hmm. and I know for some people that have shared with me their anecdotes as well, it's just as important for them when they're, um, if they get it clawed back, they've accepted the amount they get clawed back. Um, they have a, an ability to work to a certain extent. And you have to, you've got to be collecting at least $1 to be able to get the other in-kind services that you need for social assistance here in Ontario. Anyway, I'm not sure how much it deviates uh, for, for those of you that are in uh, other provinces, but you know, to have dental and vision, even though it's not a lot, you have some of these in-kind uh, social assistance benefits, I'll call them benefits right now, but you don't get them if you're at zero. Mm -hmm. So you need that $1 to keep you there. And the struggle, if you don't, if you don't know how to navigate this system, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, this idea of being able to advocate for yourself and, and navigate this system and learn about like, not everybody can, not everybody can grasp all of that. And, you know, they're learning as they go and get, 
you know, get screwed over, I guess is how I'll say yeah. it. But people get overwhelmed and they cannot, they just can't function. The stress level already that people are under, it's, is, it's so much that to add something to it, even, I mean, and it goes back to like going back again to talking about the, the CBD and talking about this regulatory environment that's going to be enshrined. And like, I really hope they address that issue of, you know, how many times do I have to prove a disability? And right. besides, you know, besides this issue of clawback, what I want to know as a taxpayer as well is what happens to that money in my province when it's clawed back from somebody that's already living in need? There's yeah. a lot of taxpayers that don't, want to see someone living below the poverty line i'm not even talking about at the poverty line right yeah. we're talking about deep below but yeah. what happens when that money is clawed back where does that go does it go back to the federal government or does it go into a provincial coffer mm -hmm. oh, well, that's still very unclear to me because what happens for each person when it's clawed back you get mired in the Oh, you know, this is exempt and that's not exempt. And we start talking about how the policy works for people that are living in, in under poverty. Mm -hmm. but what about where does that money go as, as a, like just as a follow through on the whole exercise, where is that going? Well, I'm and, thinking that I'm thinking that it probably goes into general revenue. Uh, into well, exactly. And and does this so on the backs of somebody who's already living below the poverty line? Now we are talking about how almost near impossible. Listen to the rhetoric that we hear about this Canada disability benefit and how hard it's going to be to get these regulations well when you have the the you've got to have that political will and that courage to come up first and say we're going to bring people above the poverty line how much above the poverty line one percent two percent i haven't even no one's even committed it's the the wording that they have now is i think it's to reduce poverty mm -hmm. yeah instead and of elimination you're, you're still struggling what uh, you know we all know this too we have you know when you know people that are struggling with inflation and the cost of groceries no matter where you're at if you're working like people do not have a cushion right mm -hmm. so now when it comes to someone who's living below a below the poverty line can we at least not identify that in a clear and succinct statement there is not one it's been avoided are you going to commit to bringing people to a level that is above the poverty line? Mm -hmm. And how far above the poverty line? I know <laughs> that's regional, but that's no excuse to not say what the aspiration is, at least. That hasn't even been identified. So that's really concerning, and that's really frustrating when people are um, trying to eat healthy, uh, you know, trying to whatever grocery stores you have at your avail where you mm -hmm. live. I feel sorry for people that have no choice but to um, access a, a certain type of, you know, corporation that provides 
groceries and you have to, you just got to buy what they have. You can't look for deals anywhere, which is a whole other career for people. So I, I, that's the part that I really, uh, I really find uh, like extremely frustrating and concerning when it's going to come, you have to be patient. It's going to come. What's going to come uh, is someone yeah. please commit to, I here's the poverty line and we're going to bring you above it. Yeah. There is not even an attempt to say, we're going to bring you to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and the other worry too is a lot of people with disabilities are going. What's coming first, the expansion of maid, where I'm coerced as a as a impoverished Canadian into the maid uh, channel, or am I gonna am, am I gonna see the disability benefit actually like give me some breathing room? Yeah, and that's the coercion, the coercion of hey. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna support you, but we'll we'll, we'll give you a lethal injection uh, yeah. instead. Is is really a scary con yeah. prospect. Mm -hmm. Well, I had yeah. I had I had two comments, and I wanted to get uh, Cheryl's feedback on on one of them. The first oh, sure. one, first one is you know I, I don't like the whole idea of of you know the rob Peter to pay Paul idea. So so I I get the clawback so that somebody else can get a subsidy, right? Uh, like I'm, I'm just as bad off as somebody else, probably yeah. worse. But I somehow I deserve a clawback. But somebody else working at McDonald's for eight hours or whatever, they get the subsidy, right? Um, that's that's point number one. And the other thing I wanted to mention too is there, there's been so many um, articles in BC here just in the last few days in the lead up to the uh, budget uh, unveil, and everybody is talking about. Uh, as Minnie was saying, you know that you know everybody everybody's paying a tax, and this whole this whole whole idea of the uh, gross domestic product, right? Well, there's been so many articles recently about saying that the 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 gross domestic product product of BC has just basically gone right down the toilet because you got mm -hmm. so many uh, like the population is is skyrocketing, mm -hmm. but but you know all our jobs now are converting from uh, full-time employment of good jobs. They're all getting like part-time hours at, at yeah. crappy wages now. The precariat. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and so you have the beat, the big, the big CEOs are making the money. Like, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. like I was, I was saying before we launched Brent, I, I'm, I, yeah. I shared the story of, you know, that I used to work for RBC. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Royal bank of Canada, Let's make let's state that again. Here. Royal Bank of Canada, and right. I was the tech support for for all of the um, branches all across the whole country, all across mm -hmm. Canada. I was the tech support, and you know they would call in the branches would call in, but but because the CEOs wanted to save the money, they shipped all of the tech support over to India. Right. You know, and I mean that to me is corruption right there, where where the CEOs value profit way more than they value Canadian citizens and, you know, making, making Canadian citizens lives better. It's like, well, let's, I, we don't care if we screw, if we screw over Canadians, we, we care about the, the bottom, the bottom dollar. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, we don't, we don't care I, if we sh ship everything over to yeah. India. It's fine. Yeah. Just for one sec, I was going to turn the mic over to, uh, 
uh, over to Tom here for a minute just to get Tom's feedback into uh, um, yeah, a, and then, so, then we'll turn over to you, Alan, after. And, and Minnie, she's also got her hand up. Um, yeah. I'm right now I'm um, going through guys. Um, guy standing is my kind of hero in the basic income movement. Uh, he's a labor economist, and well, I mean, like, there's so many different. So I could just go rambling on. I'll try. I'll try not. I'll try to keep it as succinct as I can. Uh, right now, I'm reading his book, Work, Work After Globalization, which was written in 2009. The next one was The Precariat, 2011. And basically, like he would say, we're basically facing a perfect storm. Um, you got the stagnant wages, neoliberalism moving to rentier capitalism, which is what we have now, which is like <laughs> I literally woke up to the place below me being ripped to piece, ripped up in my, my apartment going like this because of how like they're going to gut that one and then they're going to turn it around and make it over 2000. Um, jobs are not what they were. Wages are not what they were. There is a lot of like work that can be done online, but a lot of people don't know how to do that stuff. Meanwhile, at the same time, I, I it was either David Shapiro or, or um, Sam Altman saying how you're going to get to a point where you could create a bot that could create a, a corporation that could create you money and, and create other bots <laughs> to do the same thing. So we're in a world where there's tons of, actual resources there but people can't access them unless they know exactly how to do that and then you have these like bits and pieces kind of lives of the precariat in which disabled people are in there the people wishing for a lost past are in there and the people that are coming out of college going what happened like um mm -hmm. it's not like i'm you know i'm turning 50 next month it's it's not the same working world i entered in 1992 and it's it's goofy to pretend it is like you could have a normal job, one job, one job, 40 hours a week and live on that. It could be anything. And you could yep. do that. We, you had benefits, like as Neil can say, that you could live on. And yep. then above that, like it's like, I mean, I grew up in a normal, I was very lucky. I grew up in a normal middle-class house, both parents. It wasn't like, because of that, I was like, why do anything? Like it's 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 crazy. Meanwhile, at the exact same time, um, the reason I've been very busy and I've not been able to come on here as much is because I've had this crazy idea. I'm I'm a former filmmaker of um, doing a scripted film on what happened with the basic income experiment in Madhya Pradesh from 2010 to 2013 with Guy Standing, Sarath Davila, and everyone else. And there is so much that happens when you invest in a community, even the small amount that they did, the basic income that they had, where like there is so many things that improved in those communities. I can't actually list them all. There's like, like Guy and Sarath would come back to a community and it was like night and day. And, and there's like, we only gave them like the equivalent of like $5 a month, but there was so many network effects and feedback effects and, and people going, I'll, I'll work with you on this thing. And, and, let's work on that thing and so forth because people could combine their money. So, and so they wouldn't have to go to a money lender and like education oh, yeah. improving education, especially for girls improved. Right. It's like, if you can get people above poverty, like Cheryl was saying, all these other things start coming. Like, it's like your bandwidth increases and then you can start looking at all these, Oh, I wait a minute. I can make money. If I do this, I can, I can yeah. do this thing over here, but it's getting people out of like where they're drowning yeah. so they can actually breathe and then go and, like, okay, now I can do something. And that was what happened with the LA pilot. They actually called it breathe because the most yeah. common statement from people in the Marist for Guaranteed Income um, 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 series of, of pilots was that the feeling of breathing space, the feeling of improved <laughs> mental health, the feeling of 
of being able, like, I feel like I have control of my future now, even though it's a small amount, like yeah. most of them aren't, yeah. aren't even up to a thousand uh, US or whatever. That, that's very interesting, yeah. Tom, because uh, that'll be like uh, on my Monday, Monday segment, I'm going to be talking about health. So yeah. it kind of interlines right into that because it's yeah. like, and that will have a huge impact is uh, get people up to a, a level, a, a standard yeah. level of living. Now they've yeah. got options where they can now look at other options. What would they like to do? What, or what can yeah. they do? Or and build from and that we, point on. I'm going to quickly jump over to Helen, like I, I know, and then over yeah. to uh, Minnie, because I know Minnie's got, you've got your hand up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but my head's been up for so long because of Cheryl oh. mentioning about clawbacks and wondering where the tax money goes. All right. Okay. Well, I'll go over to you first and Minnie first and then head over to uh, Ellen. Sorry about that, Ellen. <laughs> and the Auditor General report says the word overpayment 71 times. And then there's overpayment because the, the recipients are deceased and they took too long to get it or they took too long to verify eligibility. Like the reports say how much money they collected. It said $56 million in the report. Wow. So it's not like wow. they're not reporting how much, they know how much money is coming from it. They just don't tell you where it went after they collected it. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I can find the things from 2019. So if I can find the document on the internet and I'm yeah. supposed to be a broke like borderline homeless ODSP recipient, but I know more information about it because a few Google searches and keywords. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, like, how can I, I'm not, technically I'm not supposed to know anything of this information. Right. Like mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be in the dark, miserable, in a corner, in a line at a food bank. That's where I'm supposed to be. Uh, it's because so nobody's, nobody's asking the information. I, like the Auditor General did a report, then they did a follow-up. I read the follow-up. I read, it's 600 pages. <laughs> it's 60 pages 600 pages of the policy and the directive people are not asking questions from the policy that they created mm -hmm. nobody's asking how is this implemented where does it go how does it affect people nobody's mm -hmm. doing follow-up on the emotional impact of financial abuse in the system nobody's doing that like we know financial economic abuse is it's a thing but nobody's actually saying it's actually in social assistance wow Especially wow. like when I got on social assistance, I was held captive in Toronto and welfare gave me $500. They didn't find me housing. They gave me $500 and sent me back to my abuser. And then after I left him, I got victim's compensation. Then I got on ODSP. The entire system did nothing for me. You hear about that a lot, actually. It's not, and it's I, it's not like, like I could go, you know, find a lawyer and sue him. Rocco Galati, I was trying to work with him, but he's too expensive. And it's an emotionally draining to build a case, sue the mm. government for the emotional abuse they do to you, and then you have to work. So even though I'm fighting the government, I'm doing all the things, I, I have prescriptions, I have medications, I have doctor's appointments, I have to pay $286 on prescriptions right now. Yeah. And then find an insurance coverage that will cover it more than ODSP, because ODSP won't cover half my prescriptions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All those things that we have in a system that's they're, they're they they want to reduce and eliminate barriers back to employment, but they're causing a psychological damage on top of it, and they don't they don't acknowledge it at all. Yeah. I heard some news today that apparently an agreement has been met with the federal government for the pharmacare plan with the. Uh, which will never cover teeth. any of my prescriptions i looked at it nope. they want to cover birth control oh, really? and oh. diabetes medication none of oh. my medications are going to be covered oh okay 
Same thing with the dental plan that's coming out in June. It's not going to be covered. If I get it, they either choose that or ODSP. If I get a private plan, they choose the private plan over the government plan. Yeah, I was going to say, because I have interesting. It's like they're rolling out things, but they're purposely keeping you poor to access them. Yeah. They're making you choose make money for yourself or stay poor and depend on us, and we give you scraps that we can think of. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. tired of breadcrumbs. I'm tired. Of, I can't live on breadcrumbs. Like I did, like I'm intelligent enough to understand what they're doing and make choices for myself that I don't need another person to make choices for me. But the choices that they're giving me, they make me hate them even more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I'm, I'm 39. I still got 50, 40 years left on this planet. And I don't like this government at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. Uh, uh, thank you on that, Minnie. Uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, Alan. Um, yeah, I was just saying the policies, it's interesting. Uh, all the little caveats, um, like if you don't ask or even bring anything up. And when you do, like I went into, when I was, I went to ODSP because I couldn't reach my worker because I, I was getting errors on the portal. And what I was really asking about is, does is there any way I can get a mattress covered? Because uh, it doesn't really matter, but that's what I was in there for. And as soon as I started asking questions, the uh, lady behind the counter is like, oh, you don't have to worry about those things. They don't apply to you. And this is the blanket. This is the blanket uh, reply. Don't. Don't ask questions because we don't want to waste our time trying to explain it. Just go with the flow and go away. That's just the, that I say, yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. And and I, the reason and I, your next the the reason I'm so um, adamant about a UBI is the autonomy of it. I want to be able to go. Hey, if I want to do a photography project like film people who are unhoused that are on disabilities that don't get don't have the support so they can't get the apartment because they can't get this so they're caught in that double-edged sword if i want to be able to do that coast to coast yeah if i have a ubi i can do those things but yeah because odsp makes it so punitive I can't no, even we're, my we're, assuming, we're assuming UBI will let us do those things, but we already have things in place that stop us from doing things. <laughs> the same government we're asking to make UBI is the same government oh, who can make rules to take it back. Right. That is true. Um, I'm just like, it's just the, the, the digital ankle bracelet that, that mm. social assistance brings. And, and, and I think more so the stigma of OD, things like ODSP, at least right. with the base income, you can say I'm a self um, self employed photographer, and I I use the basic income to give me a bit of a floor below my feet. It's much easier in a social situation to say, "Hey, I can at least hold my head up and go on a dating site." Because right now I don't even bother dating because as soon as I mention I'm on, I rely on ODSP as my ground floor uh, 
it's four below my feet. I'm ghosted. That's it. I could be the most. We could be like completely connecting, and as soon as ODSP comes up or a disability, that's it. It's it's over. They they they're gone. Before I even have a chance for me to show I, I'm a person before, so Thanks that's for kind of me, Ellen. Um, yeah, definitely. There's there's so many um, it hurdles. It's not even about the money anymore. Yeah, I'm getting to the point where it's a stigma. It's, well, it's it is. It is stigma. Point. It is totally. And, uh, and and the stigma affects the stigma. Of, like I go for a job interview, everything's going peachy. Up yeah. to the point where the employer goes, so what are you doing for an income? And they they trap you into these answers where you are. It's like it's like a book. Well, if you want to go down the hallway, turn to page forty-four. If you want to go up the stairs, turn to page fifty-two. And and the and the employees ask you these very divisive questions to trap you into an an only to one kind of answer or the other. So as soon as you bring up that. Yeah, I'm on ODSP. Even though your resume says that you just finished a five-year job at a restaurant, right? As soon as you mention, even if you still currently have that job, right? Like, hey, I'm currently at the Swiss Chalet in Niagara, but I'm moving to Kingston, right? So I'm I'm looking for work in my city because obviously I can't drive back to Niagara every week, right? Um, Yeah. As soon as the word disability comes up, yeah, it's like, and they go part time, they they shut the interview down and they look at you like you've got some leprosy, right? <laughs> that's, and that's that's not right, you know. It's discrimination. It's it, uh, and it's everywhere. Yeah, that's the sad part. Yeah, I'm gonna pass the mic over to Cheryl. Uh, your your input on on this, uh, Cheryl. Like, yeah, definitely these stories that that we're hearing. It's um, definitely. It's something. I mean, I hear a lot of these things around my neighborhood too, um, yeah. and I think people just want to have hope, right? And that's the key: is when the sun shines, it brightens the day. But at the same time, that's only temporary. When the sun shines, it's what will boost people up to above that poverty level, so that they will be successful and making. They can do other things, and then there's I meet yeah. so many people have so many other talents and uh, ambitions that that they want yeah. to explore, but. They can't when they're suppressed down. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually it, it's actually less expensive as a society for us to have a government that we make <clears throat> commit to a, let to a universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Healthcare costs come down. Mm-hmm. Um, policing costs come down. All oh, yeah. kinds of other so other issues, they come these they come down when you deal with the person when you put people first. Yeah. Increasingly over time, we have uh, hyper partisan. And the reason it's hyper partisan um, governance is because of capitalism that's been allowed to become hyper. It's this beast that we can't feed. We never had, I'm older than some of you here, but, um, and Tom, you were mentioning about universal basic income. Our fourth government in Ontario tossed a pilot project that would have given us 
so much good research and example. And he just pulled that out. Luckily, we do have the internet. As mm -hmm. many saying, we can research and see other jurisdictions that have proof. If you want evidence-based decision-making in your government, we can yeah. do just like Pharmacare. When the it's been reported to death, we know it should be implemented with a universal healthcare system, but I'm digressing. The point of this hyper-capitalism is, look at the feedback, the way that our corporate structure is now. It's, <clears throat> it's removed local news, mm -hmm. it's removed mm -hmm. news making and journalism, it's all corporate. You hear the social media messages that are marketed by um, hyper-capitalist um, corporate agenda um, political parties now. That's what you hear. Mm -hmm. And they all pit people against each other and make you afraid yeah. or vilify someone who is suggesting something that would be um, a social program or taking care of society, which is what government is supposed to do. Government mm -hmm. isn't a set of Lego blocks. It's people. We put yeah. people in place to govern that way. Mm -hmm. But when you have that as a priority, you are vilified in a way that um, makes people yeah. afraid. And I know because as a, uh, I was, a lot of you know, I was a member of parliament mm -hmm. in the NDP caucus. You mm -hmm. get called scary communist. Yeah. The yeah. Witch, yeah. Like, because you, you have evidence that is suggesting that if you put people first, it's actually more efficient for a government to do that. But mm -hmm. going back to something Neil said about CEOs and um, how much they're making, we have never, ever had, ever in the history of recorded history, we've never had this kind of gap and mm. the kind of excess that we have now, the excess of a corporate class and the amassed billions and trillions now, people are becoming trillionaires, the amassed Mm -hmm. wealth at one end and the destitution at another end we've never had such a huge gap yeah, it's like the, it's there, like the haves the haves and the have-nots yeah so mm -hmm. but but sure. there's but you could put laws in place there are ways yeah. we could do this okay you could have a profit you could have a after this much profit now yeah. you're paying this much tax on your profit we've exactly. never dealt with mega corporations before we have some of the old archaic rules for mm -hmm. capitalism even for trade yeah. free trade i get how civilization started but we're using these same or or, or archaic rules yeah. and we're not applying a new set of rules for the mega uh, for this mega corporation look at the feedback do you know like go i'm thinking not just google but google um Netflix. Um, I'm trying to think of big names that people know. They do not Microsoft. They do not the, pay the, one cent in yeah. tax. BlackRock and Vanguard own right? so much now. But it's also the majority of these corporations are U.S. based. The U.S. tax code is bigger than the Canadian tax code. 
we could mm -hmm. put a tax code here. All of that could be done. But oh. it also goes back to that precarious work. It's created the precarious work. I yeah. live where I live in southwestern Ontario, like in the automotive capital. Right. Yeah where you can work in a factory and be a middle-class person. You work in one of the big three, okay? Mm -hmm. And you can make this money. Um, then we had all kinds of things happen with free trade agreements, um, federal government subsidies. We had people that worked, that were taken to court in the labor movement because they had a picket line mm. and were stopping one large corporation called NEMAC that took Canadian dollars to build machinery, then close the plant here and move the machinery to Mexico. Oh. Because there were no no stipulations in the money stopping that from happening. The other yeah. thing is I wanted to say, mm -hmm. I worked at a food processing plant in my town, uh, Green Giant at the time a label for mm -hmm. green giant it's called something else now but oh, i was, oh, able, green to giant. There. I was mm -hmm. able to work there full time in yeah. the pack it was called in the summer and oh. buy a car a beater car mind you but i could buy a car pay my car insurance pay my own university tuition now mm -hmm. you can't do that now not only because the wages don't match if you work full time in the summer but because you're not allowed to you're only mm -hmm. allowed 28 hours you're not allowed mm -hmm. full time. So there's all these other factors. Never Italy. when I was young, as young as some of you guys are here, I think Minnie mentioned her age. Um, I'm 62. We never had this term working poor. Mm -hmm. Working poor is a thing. I don't know how Tom, maybe you know. How many years yeah. ago did working poor start? Yeah, I remember it like like I remember in uh, early 2000s, somewhere I started hearing people saying, I, I have a second job or my boyfriend won't get a third job. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, yeah. you know that's why I, I glued to Guy so directly because he started talking about the precariat with, and how yeah. it's more than just, um, it's more than just like the insecure jobs. It's also the sanctioning, the, the, the situation yeah. that's being built where and we have this lack of trust. I wrote a thing called Tragedy of Trust, which is, one of the reasons we can't get into a UBI in the first place is because we have this lack of trust. It's been built exactly. up you know, yeah. by all this crap. And, and, um, yeah. I'm just going to jump in one more thing I wanted to add too. that. You're talking about that tragedy of trust. That's exactly the phenomenon. We do not have trust in government and it's calculated when they make these decisions to do something, they're set up to fail. So we yeah. won't trust them. Yeah. A program yeah. that, is rolled out by half measure or something like recently that's happening in Ontario yeah. um, in a huge, huge social service crisis, whether you're talking about education or healthcare, now it's service Ontario. Okay. This is where you go okay. for your driver's license. Who, okay. I, who else well, lives? I don't know how many of you all live in Ontario, yeah. but they just unilaterally gave a contract to a mega corporation, two mega corporations based in based in the United States, Staples yeah. and yeah. I think Walmart. Oh. That's gonna do they're gonna do service Ontario for us. Oh my. Oh. And wow. then we are thankful when you expect a service, say you're a middle class taxpayer, voter, whatever, right? Now you have that undermined trust. 
Again, right. because it's a, another half measure. It's set up to fail. Yeah. Uh, but it's highly problematic because what it does for advocates like us is it makes it that much harder to wave and get attention and say, wait, you have people living below poverty. You mm -hmm. have um, you have policies and regulations that don't make sense. You need to tweak this, this, and this to make this more efficient. Mm -hmm. They do, it, it's um, it's too big of a distraction for them. It's like a, a you know a nuisance fly around my face. That's how yeah. they take it. When the, we've got the, these the working issues. poor demographic, I grew up that way. My parents before they had my mom's a nurse, my grandma's a nurse, and then my dad working at TTC. They had four jobs. I, I never saw my parents. I didn't have mom and dad raising me until I left home at 18. So I always heard them hate about the government. The only time they liked the government was when the Trudeau let them in in the 70s. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That was it. And then because my, my uncle was deaf, he had to get on disability. So he did. But he was working. Mm -hmm. Like We weren't allowed to just sit around and collect our disability. We had to work. It wasn't... He didn't, it, and then... It wasn't believed you had a disability in my household. So like each family household, depending on what generation they came to the country, we came in with certain house values that the mm -hmm. other other kids didn't have. So me being a black kid in a white school from kindergarten to grade to high school, mm -hmm. we're constantly separated. No, we're not separated just because of politics. We're separated because what year did you come into the country? And oh. then when you go home, if I learned something at school and my family didn't like it, I couldn't talk about it again. Yeah. So if my oh. kids are like in a certain trend or a certain environment, the and cottage, kids going to the cottage, I have no idea what the, we call it white people things. Yeah. There's a certain, and the amount of racism that you have in your household. My mom doesn't like Indian households because eight of them live in one household or 10 of them live in one household. Or like white kids going to the college cottage in the summer, or they actually go to a tropical island and go to a resort. That's not allowed for us. We go to grandma's house. Yeah. yeah. So well, and lot, then they, they wouldn't make a certain income too high to pay more taxes. So I learned that you don't make over $80,000 a year because you would pay, pay more taxes. So while they're working multiple jobs, they're literally penny pinching how much income it is. So they're not paying uh, our, more taxes. Our tax code, our tax regulations need to be updated too, because someone who's making, and there are people who do that, that are making millions of dollars annually, and they're paying the same taxes as somebody who's making, they're on the same tax rate as somebody who's making like, Two hundred and forty thousand. Oh wow! Uh, like our tax code needs to be like at one million dollars. Mm -hmm. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve mil. Like I'm trying to make it sound reasonable. Like we're not just trying to yeah. tax. Or even in chunks of five. Right. There's all these loopholes, and you get these credits. Well. In a lot of cases, like the credit, especially if you're a small business person who is middle class, mm. like you have to make so much money for a tax credit if it's not refundable, right? Yeah. If it's not a refundable tax credit, it it's only advantaging a certain level of people. But the interesting thing that does is just like our discussion has evolved or devolved here, it divides 
people that are the bigger power when it comes to voting. Okay. Mm -hmm. It divides those people so that it protects that upper echelon. Always, always, always. They're mm -hmm. always protected because we're distracted. And I don't mean distracted in a demeaning way. Like mm -hmm. I did about the fly kind of thing. That's how they think of us. But for us, it's a distract. It's all consuming though, because you try to advocate try to get politically involved as an activist like i have and how you have i know how you spend so much time doing research mm -hmm. learning your facts understanding how it all works you have to dedicate so much to that mm -hmm. only to find out it's futile some people do this for years and years i know like people that cry in frustration and sometimes you get these derogatory comments especially on social different social media you know and the suck it up buttercup kind of stuff yeah pretty much yeah people people care so much about not just other people and the plight of other people but they care so much about how much they've invested of themselves into being optimistic and believing that a change can happen if only we do it right this is why so many people literally like researchers academics literally cried when that pilot project was canceled by the ford government yeah. like yeah. they did that uh, like i you can just get worked up thinking about it now because oh, the, yeah. work, the work that goes into it and and um you, like people living with disability and the advocacy and then to find the wording that in the accessible canada act that's when i was the critic for people living with disabilities and what got me involved with this podcast and with brent yeah just the work to get can you at least use the united nations definition of mm -hmm. disability we're supposed to be signatories to the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. And yeah. we fall short. We don't do, like, so you can see why it, uh, and then you pass the torch on to somebody else because people get exhausted and they burn out. And you have to start from scratch. Someone else has to come in and learn, just like it, if you're an advocate in ODSP. Yeah. <laughs> they learn for themselves what the hell happens right yeah you know and that it kind of comes down to like like earnings exemptions like in bc you know you can only earn so much and you know then you, then you go to an employer and i mean i can look back at um like relate to like say way back work at a big corporation you you work 40 hours a week you get your break taken off so you get like 37.5 hours right five days a week yeah, and you know you could actually make a living way back in the way back in the nineties on that, no problem. Then as time went on, the buying power you just eroded away from it. Then the employers that they say, well, if big corporations pay well, yeah, how can we how can we save a buck? So you know, then they then they want to get rid of um you know a lot of their full time people, downsize yeah. down to part timers, um, you know contract in other people, and then you know it's a whole blossom. Uh, situation but then it comes down to the government saying well you can um, you can only uh, work excess hours because if you work more we're going to claw that off you so now if you take taxes off now you say well what the heck so you know you tell the employer well i can only work 
X amount of hours because otherwise it gets clawed off you. And then the employer thinks, well, you just don't want to work. Well, well, no, it's not, that's not it, right? You want to be self-sufficient. But then of course, then you look at it and say, well, what are you able to do? What are you not able to do? You work with your disability to basically the best way you can. And so my, my view is it's always better if, you, if a person can to be self-sufficient and like work, work, but you know, um, work for themselves if you can. But again, uh, it comes down to kind of what uh, what Minnie was saying before. It's uh, now you have to basically indicate to be self-employed. You have to now let the government understand that, hey, um, working for yourself, it's still employment. But it's like you are your you are the employee, but you're working for yourself, but you're working for the company. So it's it's in yeah. legislation. It's trying to make the workers understand that. It is still employment. It's not unearned income. And so a lot of them are trained. They don't want to read outside that box. It's like, well, no. So you have to kind of teach them. And it's almost like schooling the workers on how to do their job. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and the other other thing that happens, I know, too, um, as an advocate, when and especially when we're working on the um, Accessible Canada Act, Mm-hmm. And then the language and, and what happened later with, uh, you know, trying to introduce a Canada disability benefit. There is the high, like there is a really high frustration level as well. And it's a very, you know, a group that suffers in silence that yeah. they're trying not to suffer in silence. They're trying to be heard. Why do you keep concentrating on working disability? Yeah, that keyword. Yeah. Why are you not talking about people with disabilities? Yeah. If you can work, we've we you can negotiate through that, but we're like okay. the the working aspect of it is a distraction from the plight of people living with disabilities. And many can't work. Uh many yeah. cannot collect uh the the um the Canada, uh, the CPPD, um, mm-hmm. they didn't work long enough to contribute to it. There's so many people that are exempt from programs that we use right now. Um, and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of pro, we don't have a lot in, in uh, it actually federally either. And that was my, uh, I had a private members bill that was, uh, that was, uh, the, um, the comment was made that it's not a practical solution. My private member's bill was to be able to have a one-stop shop mm-hmm. so that you, you know, you apply once federally and whatever you're eligible for, it's like, it's an automatic. But yeah. That was and, and, that's thing, that, and that's the thing too, Cheryl, it's like once you have a disability, whatever province you're in, like uh, you should automatically get federal or whatever it is like you should have exactly. to reapply again and again and then every five years have to be reapplied because now there's a doctor shortage too you have to, oh. so, yeah and i mean and i know i know when we learn i i understand when you're doing something new when you're van, when you're at the vanguard of of policy and trying to embrace new i get how it has to be incremental but yeah. you start with people we can identify certain conditions or pe- like, why do you have to reprove it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
and I, I remember a time, uh, I mean, this is going back, and I have mentioned on my podcast before, and Neil, Neil knows the story and you know, all them uh, on, on the podcast here. It's where, you know, and I'm not doing a blame game on certain governments, right? But it's, I remember one time at a, an administration that was in, they wanted people to go through a, a reassessment to, to see if you're still disabled. And it was yeah. all about trying to save a, a buck for the government. Oh, yeah. Try- you know, but and I thought about, my doctor, my think... doctor was so mad with me, yeah. and it's like, Brent, you're wasting my 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 time as a physician. He goes, I'm a surgeon. I'm a I'm actually a doctor in, in the clinic here. I don't have time for this BS. I go, I don't know. They just told me to come in. So anyway, uh, long story short, I mean, three think about that dollar. Over. Yeah, think about that dollar, but don't think about the dollar. Yeah. That it took for the person, whether you're like offering someone gas money to drive you here. We have yeah. neighborhood Facebook groups where people help each other and do that, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Yeah. But the problem is, as I mentioned, where I live, and it is a problem when you are in a car centric community, like your public transit mm. not really up to par. And yeah. think about how hard that is for. Uh, for people to have to go through that you think the practicality of I know sometimes to me and and we did politicize at one time in Ontario the the common sense so I don't say common sense anymore but 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 it you know there are some very obvious things that you think okay this this is the low-hanging fruit and why Mm. are we not implementing these things and if you're afraid to implement something Introduce it as a pilot. Take the yeah. academic approach. Say, we're going to do this for 18 months and mm-hmm. let's see what happens. We'll get a report exactly. back. I mean, we don't, uh, we don't right now, we maybe as citizens that are trying to be informed, read an auditor general's report, but we don't hold a government, like governments are not obligated to look at any of these and and implement change you know mm-hmm. it, it that's the political will and which becomes that political will becomes partisan politics yeah. which has become this very hyper partisan game it's it's very very difficult now to foresee how you get anything done unless you're doing it at this grassroots level and appealing to a mainstream all across the spectrum. And that's, I think, the biggest hurtful thing, uh, not to put words in all your mouths, but that's the biggest hurtful thing. Is this not a mainstream Canadian value, at least? Mm -hmm. Like you have vulnerable people that you're just letting, you're just letting the, you know, every day on a calendar gets ticked off and you just, oh, well, we're doing this. We have these bureaucratic processes, blah, blah, blah. Um, or different words yeah. that actually mean nothing. And it goes back to that, uh, just the, the headlines and the, the social mm-hmm. media and the gesture politics, right? Well, one thing that I've noticed before I hand the mic over to Tom and then over to Ellen, um, I noticed, I've noticed that none of the media, um, sure, I don't know if you've noticed that out in Ontario, yeah. but none of the media, doesn't matter what station it is, um, they, they talk about seniors, but they don't never talk about people with disabilities. Like very rarely will they mention that um, at all. And I mean, there's seniors who have disabilities that are suffering and 
and that's another quick topic just before Tom, before I, I reach over to you. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, uh, and I, you know, I don't want to, I want to really uh, focus a lot of the podcast going forward to, uh, you know, kind of FYI me on this. It's mm-hmm. that bringing the attention to seniors who have disabilities, like when, mm-hmm. when they turn 65, they learned, they leave, they, they leave, <laughs> they lose their, uh, their disability status, but they're still having, they still have, they, they yeah, yeah, and they yeah, still yeah. have their disabilities, but they don't get they don't get all the um, the you know the benefits that go with it. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there, um, yeah. and then uh, over to you, uh, over to you, Tom, and then I'll get Cheryl your all your feedback on this. Um, and then I'll actually, I think Alan was first on this. Alan, do you want to go? Uh, I think he. Uh, no, go ahead, Tom. Okay. Um, oh. Let's see. I uh, wanted to. Um, add to what you were saying about the basic income pilot one of the um things i've heard let um our kind of one of our canadian kind of like icons of the movement sheila regeer who's the head of bicn uh she of course formerly worked with, in government as well in in welfare and, and um and as she said there was no way that the ontario government could have taken any kind of information and processed it and used that to make a decision to cancel the pilot Meanwhile, if they'd wanted to find out whether whether basic income worked or not, the best thing would have been to let, just let it roll out. Um, the late Senator Hugh Siegel, he was he said, well, yeah, it's it's unfortunately happened to us twice. I mean, the other time was Mincom, it happened, you know, <laughs> um, where it was the it was the funding for research that was pulled. But um, usually, like the challenges, as we, we've kind of learned in the movement, is don't start up <laughs> like it's like. It's that thing of like starting a pilot right before there could be an election. It's like, that's kind of a, yeah. a dangerous. And so it was like, you know, as, as Hugh said, it's like a lot of governments don't like to take on the pre- projects of their predecessor. <laughs> but it's also, I was thinking about how uh, one of the things that um, Guy talks about, especially in his recent book, Politics of Time, I don't work for him or anything, but, <laughs> uh, but is a difference between work and labor. You see so many statements of, of work being put up on, you know, like where it's like disability and inclusion, disability, work, blah, 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 blah. and it's like there's a difference between, as Guy said, the difference between work and labor. Labor is a very specific thing, and it's you know working for a wage, whereas work can be just about anything. Yeah, good and point. Work, and, and labor is changing so much anyway. And mm-hmm. and you have David Graeber explaining, talking about bullshit jobs, where thirty percent, what was, what did he say, thirty-seven percent of uk workers believe they have a job that doesn't need to exist it's like we need to start especially especially when you have all these other things like climate change and whatever start moving in a direction towards like okay what labor do we need and you know like <laughs> and start valuing people as opposed to valuing jobs first you know so yeah. that was really yeah good. yeah thanks on that tom cheers over to you al um i'm not gonna rabble on too much um one thing though that Tom mentioned was interesting. I was I watched two individuals this week um, on uh, TikTok, I think it was, or some someone sent them to me. I was able to save one. I, I I didn't have the authorization to save the other video clip. Sometimes you can. Uh, one guy was working for a corporation. He's bragging on how uh, they can use all these government subsidies. Um, so that they can hire immigrants, which they charge to bring over, and they give them the job. So instead of paying me sixteen an hour to flip a dish at a restaurant or uh, that's owned by a corporation like Swiss Chalet, 
uh, is under the same umbrella as Montana's and and Harvey's and uh, Kelsey's, I think. Yeah, they right. can pay some guy from um, some guy from India to do that same job for ten an hour. Right, contract so, out. There's this. We we've got into this employment farming. Where is we're not just up against AI replacing their job with where it's like a factory, and now there are three robots doing a job of thirty people, or whatever. We're dealing with uh, governments on all levels bringing people in from the economy to boost the GDP or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then we're giving them the jobs that Canadians are are needing, whether it's to pump gas at a gas station or work in the in the quick store, convenient cash grab store, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Right. And instead of paying them 16 an hour, we're paying them 10. And then there was a guy that was able to save, and I think I posted him in my story. And he was talking about the same thing. So I had one guy from a business crate uh, basically bragging how they're how they're they're making profits oh. on 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 uh, taking Canadian jobs because it's cheaper to get some guy from um, Africa for Zimbabwe or whatever to come over and and charge him a ton, and make him work it off. <laughs> like oh my god. It's kind of it's kind of like uh, what uh, Neil was uh, talking about um, yeah. the uh, RBC at the time, right? It's uh, yeah, 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 outsourcing, yeah, outsourcing, yeah. and that's yeah. um, you know it's very unfortunate. That so that's we're not happened. we're not just outsourcing companies to Mexico. We're outsourcing employees. Well, we're outsourcing to the birth rate. Canada. <laughs> it's not we're outsourcing the birth rate. There's more Canadians not having babies, so they bring in immigrants who have all the babies. I sure do. My floor, the amount of kids on my floor, my building is majority Filipino and Somalian. Oh. It wasn't like that before. Yeah. But the amount of kids running up and down on the floor and strollers in the elevator, it, yeah. it's, it's it, we're bringing in other, and the way, part of the reason we're bringing in immigrants, they don't know what's wrong with our country. Oh, okay. Yes. So if they, they work hard factor. to come here. You know. They and their family sponsors them because my 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 aunts and uncles have to be sponsored by other aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. and then other people are coming in. Nope. They're not telling them it's bad. No, and they're oh. and nobody's yeah. Nobody's they're not telling them what's wrong back. with it. It's it's yeah. it's free cell phone. There's it's no it's Adidas. <laughs> it's, I have the Mercedes. They're not telling them it's bad. They're sending them money. No, they're no. sending them stuff. The, my family packs a barrel of stuff to my family in Jamaica. My family in Jamaica have no idea that we struggle. They have no idea that I have a disability. They have no idea that I, like, the oh. amount of stuff that I've been through that's horrible here, they have no idea. But they oh. want to come here. So when they come here, we're forced to take care of them. You know, We're forced but, to prove we can take t- care of them. If they yeah. get married, they're forced to bring their spouses over. Like this I, whole entire immigrant system, nobody actually talks about how bad the immigrant system is. Well, we talk, when we do talk about it, it's to pit people against each other. If you yeah. had to treat every person, hmm. no matter where they're from, with dignity. Yeah, dignity and respect. They all have the same rights in the workplace, hmm. same wages. Yeah. Full time, get to be permanent resident status, 
not beholden to an employer that hangs on to your passport and all kinds of problematic issues. And yep. then what we well, do the migrant the workers. To... Migrant workers don't even have the good place to work, but we bring no, them in every all the time. I'm, what I'm saying, that's what I'm saying very carefully. Instead of, you know, they have this and we have that, which is what has been set up so that we're divided against each other. If we all had the expectation that every single human being no matter their ability, no matter where they're from, if they're here, the expectation is that they're all going to be treated the same way, yeah. have the same wage, have the same rights in the judicial system, have the same, same, same rights. Okay. If we yeah. treated everybody the same, you would see a difference. The problem yeah. that we have is, and it goes back to that predatory capitalism of find the, find the cheapest way to do something yep. and and amass a profit for me. I had said earlier, before we go, I wanna expound on it. I had talked about excess. Yep. And I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, uh, Brett, but for the 100th anniversary, I wanna talk about it and try and, and get this uh, concept popularized for people because it benefits everybody when we all have a, a real social comeuppance about the issue of access versus excess. Okay. And when we all have access to our basic needs, when yeah. we all have access, then you talk about excess. If you are, I'm not saying you're not deserving of a reward. If you mm -hmm. work hard and build a company and, but this great wealth that's being amassed, this excess, when someone mm -hmm. is only worried about, and we've all seen the price tags of these things, you know, of these high luxury lifestyles and these corporations, this corporation just bought that one yeah. um, to, to game a system, right? It, it's, yeah. it's actually a game for them. And you have people that are living in encampments in your community and in my, in your neighborhood, you're, you know, you're trying to get put pressure so they won't pull down an encampment mm -hmm. or then you have other neighbors that yes, pull them down or you have uh, debates in communities about where should we put affordable housing. And instead of that, when you have, when you commit to that idea that you've got so much excess, what it boils down to is we're capable. We're capable of doing better than we are now. We're capable. It's not unrealistic to say that you can have um, basic access to basic needs for everyone. And I'm, uh, I'm seeing the shift. Uh, That's really interesting. Um, I'm starting to see, and it's probably been the last three months, um, especially when we had the last immigrant rush of people coming over. I'm seeing people from uh, Africa, from India, also uh, Trinidad, all sorts of people that have come over now saying on social media, don't come to Canada. Yeah. We got scooped. We got yeah. totally, totally talked into something. I'm going back home as soon as I can yeah. Like they yeah. are actually coming out and being vocal about mm -hmm. wanting to go back home from Canada, even though they were told they were sold a narrative 
that they would have a nice townhouse and all this. They're going, they're, there was a guy from um, uh, Africa, um, Nigeria, and he's like, people, don't come to Canada. I, I'm yeah. I'm paying $1,000 to sleep in a room with 10 other people, with yeah. providers, yeah. because that yeah. landlord can do it. Well, I think it's really scary. Alan, what you're talking about, I think, is a lot, it, and it is happening because it's um, it is a younger generation that know that is speaking out and here. So it started with the the conservative government, then the liberals followed. We reduced the um, the funding to universities drastically. Mm. Kept doing it. We so to, use the funding to prop up private schools too. But at the same time, yeah, uh, we reduced the funding to universities. We lifted the cap on how many international students every institution can take, including private institutions. Okay. So you have places with, uh, you know, private universities, and it's going back to like. Um, like Minnie was saying about people not really knowing how bad it is here. We have a Canada brand that's still held in high esteem. Someone is reading this and they're home and they've worked their whole life and they say, okay, we're going to send Junior to this college in Canada. Toronto. Look at what they're <laughs> yeah. doing for right. us. And yeah. they, tr they trust it, right? Yeah. And then they come here, they're in Toronto and a lot of it does fall on, I mean, we could get into all kinds of jurisdictional issues for yeah. it. It's stuck on the city of Toronto is in crisis with it right now, but it's happening in other cities too, of course. Whose problem is it, right? Oh, not my problem. So you're, mm -hmm. you're left dealing with pop a lot pop of these, potato, very, profound yeah, yeah. these very profound issues are being dealt with in city council chambers. Oh, okay. by people who I think, are I think yeah. this child is going to uh, drown because of it. I, I have a really horrible feeling that they're going to throw her under the bus for not being able to fix this uh, huge influxuation into Ontario. He's doing and so she's going to fall on the sword for it. Yeah. One term. And they're gonna, then they'll say, see what happens when you let, you let a leftist oh. person into <clears throat> as a mayor? We need a conservative in place, and it's it's this game of dodgeball. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the hot potato one. Here, it's your turn, your turn. But rather than work work together to, you know, to resolve uh, things, um, I'm gonna pass the mic over to you, Neil. Um, yeah, uh, we, we've uh, reached the end of our show, but uh, I just wanted oh. to have a uh, quick comment and say that, you know, for for me, like when I like my dad used to work for BC Tel, our Telus, you know, and and uh, it, he worked for maybe thirty years and had a lot of friends that worked for thirty or forty years for a company, and and you know that's the, probably the biggest difference between then and now is that if you work for even five years now or th like three or four years, you're considered like a long term employee 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 at three and four years now. It's like Wow, you've been with you've been with a company for three or four years. Wow, you're you're a lifer, you know. And and that whole it's it's totally different now, right? I mean, oh, you know, so like every every four or five years, people are jumping ship and doing something else because because the job's gone. 
And I, mm -hmm. I know Tav can speak about yeah, my, that. My too. dad was my dad. We we have that one in common. Yours was BC Tell. My my dad was BC Hydro. So was my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. And my grand, like I say, my dad was like. And I know that obviously, like many were saying, people's situations are different. I'm a white guy, so my reality is very very different to someone else's. Like many of whoever, but like my my grandfather, I think he went like, like soldier BC Hydro. Actually, it was BC Electric back then. My dad was like bean packer BC Hydro straight through 40 years to retirement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think my mom, and, and it was like later on, my mom started working as a preschool teacher or something like that in um, kind of late eighties. But yeah, that was like, that was just the norm. It was like, you know, as guy would say, it's like the proletariat. That's what the, and then that's what the old welfare was built on. It was built on, you had this industrial thing and you had a welfare thing in case of contingency or whatever. And that's it. Yeah. Now it's all over the place. So it, that's why it's like, the need for a basic income, uh, I mean, and we'd have to, you know, make sure that it locks in place. Like, when, like another thing I'm into is land value tax. The reason we don't have a land value tax, BC actually had one a long, long time ago, like 1900, but it wasn't protected from the people who definitely didn't want there to be a land value tax. So they wiped it out. <laughs> yeah. But um, what what a, a comment on, <laughs> on that too there is uh, I had yeah. a friend of the family who um, who way back in like the uh, late late 80s uh, until uh, geez uh, like two into the early 2000s and uh, he worked for he worked for BC Tel and then it became Telus. Yeah. But I, I remember bumping to him like many years later after he wired up my 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 mom's house with with a bunch of. Here you want it? You want a phone jack in your room? You want one here? Every almost every single freaking room, we put a phone jack. That's in. why my apartment has yep. four phone jacks. Right. So <laughs> two in the bedroom. There's two in the, yeah. in the living room. I'm like, why is there so many? Right. That right. makes. Because, well, he went ahead and you know, he always. That explains so is, much. All he said is that don't yeah you know, don't don't tell the telephone company right. That's <laughs> all. So I go okay. That's between you and I. But anyway, I ran into him years later, and he was working at another job. And I said, well, did you quit uh, TELUS? Uh, I mean, BC TEL? He goes, no, no, I still work for them. And I'm thinking, what? He goes, yeah, I need another job too to go along with it because the because the buying power started eroding. And I thought, wow, like what's going on here? It's kind of like when Tom told the story. Um, yeah, like I'd love to um, I'd love to maybe do a uh, like another segment, uh, uh, Neil, and have uh, a uh, continuation, one more series of this series. Uh, of the 100th anniversary, and they give other people two, two um, 100, two 100s in a row. <laughs> I, 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 a two, uh, quality, uh, one hundred plus, one hundred plus. That way, we can <laughs> yeah. kind of continue with maybe other ones, uh, people who weren't able to join today. They can okay. maybe join yeah. and, and and celebrate the uh, this. Um, but we can we can talk about that off off air, and then we can all okay. kind of arrange that for a few minutes. Um, I just want to give my final comments on today's segment. Um, so anyone tuning in today, there will be a 100 plus, meaning another segment to uh, look forward to tuning into. Uh, so if you missed a little bit of today's segment, not to worry, there'll be one more of this one. Um, yeah, but I want to thank you. Is that, is that like a baker's dozen? Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to thank everyone <laughs> for tuning in. Though I mean, this has been a great segment. I mean, with so much to dive into, and uh, you know, I look forward to. Uh, having you, you know, subscribe to the channel, like stay up to date and uh, what's going on. And um, definitely, if you want to come on the show, reach out to Neil or myself. Um, but anyway, uh, stay tuned to the next episode of this one. Uh, on Monday, um, we're launching a new series. 
uh, it's actually called uh, Disability Stories Health. So it's the health topic. Um, so how does uh, health affect your life? Um, definitely send us um, you know, comments in the comment section and uh, we'll have you on as a guest to talk about that too. If you want to be the guest on that series, reach out and we'll have you on and then we'll have our panel um, kind of uh, intertwined with you uh, and feedback of what you have to say to us. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks.